Hello, this is Abby Johnson. Welcome to my first podcast called Mistakes Out Loud. And I'm really excited to be starting this and uh, we're hoping to present this to you guys once a week for eight weeks and then get some new material and start over. So um, a little bit about the show, we're going to talk about some current events, things that are going on in the pro-life movement, things that affect pro-lifers, um, how you can get involved in, in various uh, pro-life issues and activism in your communities. And then hopefully every week we'll have um, a guest or multiple guests on the show. And, you know, they'll be talking to you. Some of them will have personal stories about how abortion has affected them. Um, some of them run organizations. And so it'll be an opportunity for you to learn about different life activities that are taking place across the country. And then we want to end the show every week with questions from you. So I'm going to be posting, uh, should be weekly on my public Facebook page, um, and just asking for your questions and hopefully we'll have time to get to a lot of them every week. So this week, I have two of my dearest friends on the show with me. Uh, Megan Weber is on the show with us. Say hello, Megan. Hi. And Heather Gardner is on the show with us as well. Howdy. And um, a little little bit about these two. Uh, Megan works for our ministry, and then there were none, uh, helping to get abortion clinic workers out of the abortion industry. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, um, in a few minutes. And, uh, Heather Gardner is the executive director for the central Texas coalition for life. And Heather did a lot of, she does a lot of great pro-life work here in the central Texas area, primarily, um, the Austin area. And so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And so let's get started talking about some current events. Um, there's sort of three things I want to hit right off the bat that um, all tie in together. One is the defunding of Planned Parenthood. I think pro-lifers for a long, long time have hoped and have, um, you know, been been publicly optimistic about defunding Planned Parenthood, but I'm not sure that we ever really believed it would happen. And, and now we see that this is a real possibility. We see, uh, you know, Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, talking about defunding Planned Parenthood, why we need to defund Planned Parenthood. And one thing that's, that I've been talking about a lot um, with people who have been asking me about this, and, and even people who, you know, support abortion and have said, oh, what's going to happen to all these women, you know, women's health care and blah. Um, you know, is it is important, I think, for us to support defunding Planned Parenthood, but not just removing the funds from Planned Parenthood, but then reallocating them to comprehensive women's centers that, that can that can take care of women and their families. Um, 
so yeah. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, I think it's, it's exciting. I think it's an exciting time. I think there's so much misinformation out there about, you know, what's going to happen to women. I just, I just had this, this woman post on my Facebook the other day. She said, if you defund Planned Parenthood, 22 million women will die. And I was like, what, where are you even getting that information? That that's just a number you just pulled out of your head. Like, and I said, so, so I responded and said, you know, where are you getting this number? You know, and she's like, well, that's my estimation. Well, great. You know, thank you researcher, um, for giving us this guess. Um, but I, I do, I do see this as a real possibility. We have the votes in, in the house. We have the votes in the Senate. Uh, president Trump has, has done everything so far that he said he was going to do in terms of, of what we were asking for in the pro-life movement. So there's no reason to believe that he would not, uh, you know, sign a bill that, that took away funding from Planned Parenthood and reallocated it. Um, so what are you guys sort of hearing about this? Yeah, I think I've heard all that. I've heard all that. And I think that, um, I, I am hearing from several different people saying, well, you know, it, it's really not fair to the clients, no matter how many clients there are of Planned Parenthood, whether you have your number and I have my number, whatever, that it's not fair to these clients because then where are they going to go? Of course, the pro-life movement has solid evidence to and, and statistics and uh, research to show that there are actually significantly more federally qualified healthcare centers than Planned Parenthoods uh, across the country. And so, um, they, like, like 13, like 13,000 of these centers, federally qualified health centers compared to 650 Planned Parenthoods. Right. Exactly. And to me, I think that that's a very important, uh, statistic to look at because we want to really take seriously what this means when we are taking money away from one organization and um, what the effects of that would be. So uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that uh, several uh, different pro-life organizations, including some uh, litigation organizations, have brought forth numbers that have shown that if you take the number of clients that Planned Parenthood has and distribute them across the uh, federally qualified healthcare centers, they would each individually, the FQHCs would individually be taking approximately six to 10 more patients um, once you divvy all of that out. So that's not anything that's going to just put, you know, be overwhelming for one specific location. And then also you have to think that that money being allocated, reallocated to that FQHC is going to allow them to have better services, to hire additional staff, to take on these, uh, you know, additional clients, lots of different things. So, well, and here's the thing, we actually don't know what Planned Parenthood's unduplicated client numbers are because they don't tell us those. So, you know, for one client, if she comes there to get birth control throughout the year, it may look like she had, you know, 20 visits with them. And, uh, when, when really she just got, you know, 15 packs of birth control and, a few STD tests, but the way that they, that they unbundle their services and they skew these numbers, it makes it appear that they're seeing all of these clients, which is how they get the 3% number, um, to begin with, because this is creative numbers juggling that they do. And 
and you're saying 3% for the abortions for abortion. Yeah. So, so we actually don't know what the number of unduplicated, I mean, they're saying, you know, we're saying, Oh, we see 2 million patients a year, whatever it says in their annual report, but that's not true. I mean, if you, I mean, it's probably fewer than a million, actually, it's probably less than 50% of that because if you, if you take one patient, every patient that comes in there is having more than one service performed, more than likely. Very rare that a woman comes in just for an HIV test. I mean, most of the time they're getting multiple tests performed. So, I mean, we're talking about a significantly, you know, fewer amount of patients that are being seen than what they're actually reporting in their numbers. And that's the thing. They will never release that unduplicated client's number because if they did, we would be able to actually see in the pro-life movement, we would be able to, and everybody would be able to see that this 3% claim is bogus. I mean, in fact, from, from my former clinic budget and from other budgets that we've seen from former workers, I mean, we're thinking that their abortion numbers are probably somewhere between 35 and 50%. Um, but they know that releasing that number of unduplicated clients would give us so much ammunition um, and would actually expose the significance of their abortion practice uh, throughout the United States. There's no way that 3% of their services equals 330,000 abortions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think actually, if you, if you look back 20 let's say 20 years, and we think about the terminology that has been used uh, by the pro-choice movement, um, you know, not so long ago, it used to be very common to say safely and rare. That has transitioned. They don't use rare anymore. Um, in fact, they they pretty much say now free on demand without apology. And I, I think that's because they realize that saying the word rare made it sound bad, and they also probably were thinking, well, you know, we do have, you know, 330,000 abortions a year. And that's great because that means we have uh, greater access. And so we are, you know, the prime uh, example. We are, the, we are the standard, you know, for the abortion industry. And, and we're proud of that now. But I don't think they're at the point where people in our country are going to be all like, oh, yeah, sure. But I think in a way they're trying to work towards that. They're really trying to make abortion acceptable, like normal, like it's it's having a tooth pulled. It's a common surgery. And so therefore it's an OK thing. And we should be proud to have, you know, even an increase in abortion. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If why do they keep touting this only three percent? If there's nothing wrong with abortion and abortion is completely normal and there's there's no problem with a woman having abortion, then why the only 3%? Why not just put out the real numbers, right? Like they're, they talk about reducing uh, abortion stigma, right? We don't want women to have stigma surrounding abortion services. Well, they are, they are perpetuating that stigma by continuing to say, what's well, only 3% so, as if there's something wrong with it. We know there is something wrong with it, but why do they keep saying this if there's absolutely nothing wrong with it? Just come out with the number. So what's 50%? Be proud of it. I mean, that, that's what doesn't make any sense to me. Um, well, and I wanted to say something, you know, in regards to, uh, you know, reallocating the funds to centers that will actually help women. And what I witnessed in my own state of Oregon is that we had a Planned Parenthood facility in Florence, Oregon, 
And when I looked into their hours of operation, they were only open on Tuesdays and Thursdays for a total of eight hours a week. And I was thinking, you know, this actually is a rural community. There really are not a lot of um, federally qualified health centers in the area. And, you know, put the morality aside with Planned Parenthood, and you could logistically look at that and say, this is the one place you really need one. You need to have women's health care mm-hmm. here. You need to have STD testing and well women's exams for low-income women. And so what they ended up doing was they ended up shutting that clinic down because we know the truth that it was simply a referral center. And, you know, when you look in the Eugene and Portland area, there's plenty of other places where you can obtain an abortion and health services. Yet they chose to close the doors on a health center that they only had open for eight hours a week to begin with. And that just shows their motives. They really are an abortion for profit industry, and they're not into helping women who struggle financially to gain these needed healthcare services. Yeah. We know that because, okay. At, at my, at my Planned Parenthood affiliate, Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast, third largest Planned Parenthood affiliate in the country. There's about 70 affiliates now. We were always in the red when it came to family planning services. We never had enough money. It, I mean, Planned Parenthood essentially is willing to lose money on family planning services. Why? Because they will make up, they will recoup any losses in abortion services. And that's why we see these centers closing, like in Florence, Oregon. That's why we see these centers closing across the country. And even here in Texas, we've seen dozens of Planned Parenthood centers close. And you think, well, well, why, right? You're here to provide, you're, you're, you know, accepting Medicaid, you have these funds. Like, so why, why are you closing, um, well, it's because they're losing money in their family planning programs. And if they don't have the abortion revenue to make up for that, they're not will because they're not really a charitable organization. If they're not making money, then they're not going to keep their doors open. And that's, I mean, that's sort of the bottom line. That's what we see across the country with these centers. And that leads me to another point. We recently found out that there are at least four Planned Parenthood centers in the country that are abortion-only providers. They're not doing anything besides abortion 40 hours a week. One of them is in Overland Park, Kansas. One of them is in Salt Lake City, Utah. One of them is in Dallas, Texas. Um, And then one is in Madison, Wisconsin. So these four centers are abortion all day, every day, which leads to an interesting question because Planned Parenthood says that they're not about abortion services. They say they're about preventative services. They say they're about preventing the need for abortion, even though they have chucked the whole safe, legal, and rare. They don't say that anymore. It's all about access to abortion. That's that's their primary goal now. But I find it interesting because how do they keep saying now that they're about women's health care, that they're about uh, preventing unintended pregnancies when at least four, and this is just at least four, there may be many, many more that we don't know about. We're, we're still investigating this. But at least four. How can they? How can they say that they're that they're about preventing abortions when at least four of their centers are abortion all day every day? And 
And the other thing that's interesting about this is that it tells me that there are plenty of other providers out there providing these other services for women. Because if there weren't, if there weren't other providers out there providing STD testing and preventative care and birth control, pap smears, whatever, then wouldn't they feel compelled to keep performing these services, right? But clearly that tells me that in these areas, Madison, Dallas, Salt Lake City, um, Overland Park, that there, there must be plenty of resources available to help women with their preventative health care needs. So they're sort of proving our point that Planned Parenthood is not needed in our country for women's health care because clearly there are plenty of other providers out there that can handle the load, handle the workload. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny because there's inconsistency across the board from with their messaging. So like we've kind of already talked about, they're not using safe, legal, and rare anymore, but they keep using the 3% number. So why do they keep using that? I, I came across and I've come across this several times just here in Central Texas where, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood actually hires out people all the time to memorize a script and to go stand in different parts of town and try to get people to um, either donate or support Planned Parenthood in some way. And I remember um, not so long ago, one of them walked up to me and asked me and their question always is, do you support Planned Parenthood? And if you say no, then they're trained to not talk to you anymore. Um, but if you say yes or tell me more about it, which is what I did, tell me more about it, um, they get to talking to you. So they give you all their talking points, which are, you know, how great Planned Parenthood is and how no women will have access, you know, no low income women will have health care without them in the community, that sort of thing. Well, I, I listened uh, and listened to this person's typical talking points and got to talking with her and found out this person, and this is not, this was not an isolated incident. This person didn't know anything about Planned Parenthood. She only knew what she was told to memorize. Well, they're paid volunteers. They're paid. Yeah, they're, they're paid <laughs> volunteers. Which I think technically makes them not a volunteer. They're not a volunteer. But <laughs> they're paid. They get this job and they hire tons of people to do this so that they can raise more money and get people's in, in their minds, get Planned Parenthood in their good graces. And what we ended up talking about, it ended up being a fruitful discussion, but what we ended up talking about was how there are actually several other places in the area where low-income women could go. In fact, where we were standing, there was one right around the corner that I knew firsthand, uh, or I knew at least from um, friends and from people that I had encountered uh, praying peacefully outside of our local facilities, abortion facilities, that they were being referred to those places anyway for other services. And so this person had no clue. She ended up saying she really didn't <laughs> think she was going to work there anymore. Um, and I kind of gave her some information about the real numbers and that 3% was not a real number with the abortion, uh, with their uh, percentage of abortion services. But this is something that I hear pro-choicers all the time put out there. It's only 3%. And I always want to say, but if abortion's not a bad thing, then why do you make it sound like that with the only 3%? Yeah, exactly. I, I have a funny story, actually. They're all, they're like, crawling all over Austin. This is the liberal Mecca of Texas. So anyway, <clears throat> I was doing a satellite interview with Fox news. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, and so Heather and I were were walking out. I guess we walked in and we saw this girl. She was wearing an I stand with Planned Parenthood t-shirt. Okay, so then we, we go, we didn't have a chance to talk to her. So we come back out and there she is again. So I think, okay, good. I'm gonna engage her. So we start talking to her and she um Basically, I told her, I said, look, I used to work at Planned Parenthood. I was there for eight years. Like, I know all about it. Like, let's let's talk about it. Do you know that they have abortion quotas? All, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so she, so she stopped talking to her. She wouldn't talk to us anymore. She took her shirt off, took the Planned Parenthood shirt off. She had another shirt on underneath it. She puts it in her bag and, and completely walks off the job. And I think that's probably indicative of most of these people who are out on the sidewalk. They don't really know anything about Planned Parenthood, and they certainly don't know anything about the foundation of Planned Parenthood. I mean, I heard a story um, about a gal that that confronted a guy that was out there on the sidewalk. He was an African-American guy. She goes up to him and tells him, you know, do you know who Margaret Sanger is? Of course, he had no idea. And uh, she starts telling him, well, she's the founder of Planned Parenthood. She talked about, you know, exterminating the Negro population. I mean, that's why Planned Parenthood was was founded. Um, and the guy is just like, oh, you know, heck no. And he like throws a clipboard down. He walks off. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. And so that's one of the things I want to say to people because I know this is happening all over the country because I'm, I'm hearing from all of you in emails and things, you know, somebody was standing outside of my office or with Planned Parenthood. What do I say? I, you know, we need to have these facts. We need to have this information in our toolbox so that we can, you know, peacefully confront them because I guarantee you that probably 95% of the people that are out there doing this, they're paid usually a couple thousand dollars and for so many hours and they go stand out in the street. They don't know anything about the organization. They don't know anything about, you know, really how the abortion industry works. They don't know anything about the foundations of Planned Parenthood. I mean, they are just basically shills for, uh, for this movement, but they don't really know what they're doing out there or why they're doing it. They're just out there to get a couple thousand dollars. And so people need to have information ready, um, and, you know, whether it's just in their mind or they have a piece of paper or something that they can, you know, give to people or talk to people, talk to these volunteers, paid pay volunteers, um, you know, about Planned Parenthood, and about what they're advocating for, because honestly, they do not know. Yeah, I experienced this recently. I, I engaged with a woman on a news article and she kept, you know, repeating her comment over and over in the in the news feed that. Planned Parenthood doesn't even provide abortions in Oregon. And and so I, you know, strung her along just a little bit, playing dumb, you know, building up my big bomb to drop. And finally, you know, I told her that I worked for this ministry that helps abortion workers leave, that in fact we had had an abortion worker leave from Oregon. Um, so I knew firsthand that abortions were being performed in Oregon. And then I sent her a link to the Planned Parenthood website that listed six abortion facilities. They're not denying this information, you know, and I think it's telling, you know, like, like you just said, Abby, you know, the people who defend Planned Parenthood to the nail, they don't even know what Planned Parenthood does. They don't even have their facts straight. And so if we can just come to them peacefully with statistics and facts and links and resources, you know, they, they have to either accept the truth or, you know, most of the time they then tell you to get your rosaries off their ovaries. but <laughs> Yeah, which I always say, I promise you, my rosary is never <laughs> going to be anywhere near your ovary. Um, so 
I mentioned this a, a few minutes ago, talking about abortion quotas. Um, and our organization, and there were none, has been talking about abortion quotas from the very beginning. I've been talking about abortion quotas in my talks ever since I first sort of came in the pro life movement seven and a half years ago. Um, I, you know, I think that this is something that it's hard for people to understand, and especially people who support Planned Parenthood, support abortion. They have a really hard time believing that Planned Parenthood is selling abortions like a car salesman sells a car. And and people come to me and they say, you know, Abby, I just don't get it. How do you sell an abortion? And I, I'm just like, yeah, it's so easy. I mean, to sell an abortion to, to a woman, particularly if she's young or not, but, she, you know, she comes in, she's scared, she's vulnerable, she's feeling alone, she may not have any support, maybe she hasn't even told anybody that she's pregnant. And then here we are essentially handing her this, this gift bag, right? And saying, here, take this, give me 500 bucks for it, and, and I'm going to make your biggest problem – the biggest crisis you've ever had in your life, go away. And you'll never have to think about it. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good trade-off. Um, most people, I think, if I if you came to me and I said, give me your biggest problem and I can solve it for $500, I think most people would say, yeah, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And that's what we were telling these women. And so, and, and particularly telling them, you're not going to have any effects from this afterward. It's, it's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're never going to think about it again. It's just a normal medical procedure, like having a mole removed. I mean, it's no big deal. It's just tissue. It's it's whatever. And so, of course, they're selling this product because abortion is really their profit center. It really is the highest revenue generating product that they sell. I would say, on average, they're probably making you know between three three hundred fifty dollars cash. Uh, that's their net of every abortion procedure that they perform because abortion is cheap and it's an easy procedure. It's easy. It's been done the same for the past 40 years. There's not like any, any high tech advances to abortion. Um, the instrumentation is cheap. The doctors are paid generally about $75 per procedure. Um, it's limited staff. You don't have to have a whole room full of staff. I mean, it's usually one nurse, maybe a nurse and a doctor maybe a medical assistant, maybe somebody who didn't graduate college. I mean, high school. Well, I mean, you know, um, so it's usually one staff member and then the doctor. So, so your costs are low. Your overhead costs are low, cheap to perform it, cheap to pay your doctor. And so, you know what I was saying before about them losing money on family planning. Um, they need abortion to recoup that money that they lose and so it is an easy, easy product to sell. And we've been talking about this, you know, for a long time. And then there were none. We, we were sent a, um, a certificate from uh, one of our former workers who worked for Planned Parenthood Rocky Mountains, which is in the Denver, Colorado area, and uh, second largest Planned Parenthood affiliate. He took a picture of this certificate that was on the bulletin board that was praising them for increasing and meeting their abortion quota from the previous year. We put that out publicly and uh, Vicki Cowart says, she comes out as CEO. She comes out and says, you know, basically like, heck yeah. Yeah. We have, 
yes, we have quotas. We are uh, we are proud of our abortion services. We it is a, an important service that we offer. Um, of course, they word it. You know, we're proud of that we have been able to increase access for women. You know, because it's such a good product. Yeah, because always about access, always. Um, and so, you know, it's just interesting. Snopes has, has come out, which Snopes, I mean, gosh, it's like two liberal idiots in their basement. You know, I don't know, like a husband and wife or something, um, just pounding out stuff on the Internet. Because I guess whatever they say, they think it's fact. Um, so, I mean, but they're saying, you know, no, there, no, there is no such thing as an abortion quota, even though a, the CEO of Planned Parenthood Rocky Mountains came out and said, yes. This is legitimate. This is a legitimate certificate. Yes, we gave this. Yes, we're proud of the abortion services we provide. Yes, we, you know, but they're still saying no, no way. Because people, because it is so insidious for people to, I mean, if people actually believe that, that, that an organization is pushing for all the time, people come on my page, my, my Facebook page and they say, Abby, nobody wants to have an abortion. <laughs> Planned Parenthood is not pushing for abortion. That's ridiculous. Nobody's pro-abortion. Well, sure they are. Lots of people are pro-abortion. And uh, and so, it, but it's so insidious to actually, when you think about them pushing and, and, and coercing and manipulating women into having abortions. But that's what they do. And one of the things that we've seen them do in California a couple of years ago, they pushed for legislation. They won, of course, because they get whatever they want in California. They won um, saying that doctors, there was no reason that doctors actually needed to perform abortions, that mid-level clinicians and nurses should be able to perform abortions. So they had a pilot study that, they, that, that Planned Parenthood had done. This was presented to the legislature, showed that these women that had abortions with nurses and mid-level practitioners had a higher rate of complication, higher rate of infection, higher rate of retained products of tissue, babies still left in the uterus, um, higher rate of hysterectomy after abortion. One of the uh, pro-life legislators, like, I don't know, one of two of them in California. Just kidding. There's more than that. But um, one of the pro-life legislators said, hey, look, I mean, look at all these problems. Like, I thought you said abortion was about, you know, being safe, legal, and rare. This clearly is not safe. And they said, no, look, it's not about safety. It's about access, mm -hmm. period. That, that's all it's about. They don't care if women are safe. They've, they've basically admitted that by saying it's not about safety. This is about access to abortion, access no matter what. And uh, and of course, that makes sense when you look at the quotas that they have to meet. Because, you know, they're not about showing woman a, showing a woman an ultrasound saying, oh, do you want to listen to your baby's heartbeat? No, because that's, you know, that's a, a tick mark off of their off of their quota that they meet, need to meet, which is essentially the foundation for uh, their profit. Yep. You're right. And there's so many different ways that they manipulate, uh, women or manipulate the process to sell that, that abortion. Like you said, another way we've seen in Texas, we've actually seen in Austin, the, the sonograms at our abortion facilities, including Planned Parenthood used to be $50. 
And we realized very quickly that it went up from $50 all the way to $150 in a very short amount of time. So we did some research and we started, we realized that what they were doing was they were offering sonograms for $150. However, if you got that abortion procedure, if you went through with it, like they had hoped you would, they would waive the fee for that sonogram. If you did not, if you decided you didn't want an abortion anymore, oh, sorry, you need to pay us that $150, even though you can get it free at many centers in the area. Well, yeah, because $50 is not a high enough incentive for them to book that abortion appointment. $150, you're pretty significantly invested in that abortion procedure. So, you know, if okay, well, the abortion's 450 bucks. You already paid 50. Okay, I lose $50, whatever. I don't come back for the abortion. $150, I mean, that's a big chunk of money to most people, and particularly the women who are going in here to have abortion procedures. It's just anything they can do to incentivize that woman booking that appointment that day and showing up, that's what they're going to do. Well, that $150 is nearly half of their abortion. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're just going to incentivize, incentivize the heck out of it so that these women will make appointments. And speaking of that, speaking of this ultrasound situation, we had, we had a situation, uh, our project, uh, I think it's her project director. I think that's her title. I don't know. We just make stuff up as we go. Um, <laughs> she, uh, her name is Pam and, uh, and our ATWN staff, they are incredible. They're, you know, helping uh, abortion clinic workers. They're volunteering in pregnancy centers or out in front of the sidewalks. I mean, they're, you know, ministering to the homeless. I mean, they are just they're on it. They're every part of the pro-life movement. Really, truly, they are doing everything they can to build up a culture of life. So Pam's out in front of Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast. Planned Parenthood, it's in Houston. It's my old affiliate and uh, largest, largest abortion facility in the Western Hemisphere. Okay. She's out there. This woman comes out. Uh, now, I should say this. In Texas, we have ultrasound laws. Now, not that we really expect the abortion industry to follow these laws. Um, but we do have a law in the books that says that the abortion facility must offer a woman uh, the opportunity to see her ultrasound. The doctor must uh, point out, or the ultrasound tech, whoever's doing the, whoever's doing the ultrasound, must point out... Uh, the fetal extremities. So they've got to point out the head and the arms and the legs. Okay. Then they have to give her the opportunity to listen to the heartbeat of the baby. All right. So that's the law. This woman goes in for her ultrasound consultation and her visit with the doctor. She comes back out. Pam intercepts her, starts talking to her. And uh, the woman says, you know, well, I was just here for my ultrasound. Um, the woman is from uh, a country in Africa. Um, so there's, I think, a little bit of language barrier maybe there. Okay, so, and certainly confusion about what's really taking place here, what she's really looking at, things like that. Okay. So Pam starts talking to her and, and uh, says, well, did they let you look at the ultrasound? And, and this woman pulls out a picture 
And she says, yes, they gave me a copy of my ultrasound. So Pam looks at it. Now, this woman is looking at this picture thinking that this circular ball that appears to be nothing is the image of her baby. Okay, it was not. It was the top of the head. It was the cranium measurement, cranial measurement of this unborn baby. They didn't tell her that, though. They didn't say, by the way, this is just the top of the head. You know, no. The woman's 16 weeks pregnant. Uh, thankfully, outside of that facility, every day that they're open, the Houston Coalition for Life has this big, enormous uh, mobile pregnancy center. We call it the Big Blue Bus. It's outside of that facility every day. They have on-site ultrasounds, pregnancy testing, counseling there. Okay, so Pam says, you know, this is not, this, this is not actually showing you what your baby looks like. Um, this is just showing you the top of the head, but you can go, you can walk onto that bus and they can do an ultrasound right there and they can actually show you what your baby looks like. The woman walks in, has the ultrasound, falls in love with her baby, says, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have an abortion, chooses life. And I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, this is typical manipulation inside of the abortion industry. Of course, they didn't offer to let her uh, you know, give her the opportunity to hear the baby's heartbeat. Of course, they didn't point out the the extremities. And yes, this is against the law. She's going to have to be the one to file a complaint if she wants to, um, in order for the the medical board to take her seriously. And and I don't know. It, anyway, so that's happening. So on my Facebook page, I mean, I, I posted the picture of the the ultrasound that Planned Parenthood gave her, which looks like nothing. It's the top of a head, which they didn't even tell her that. And then the ultrasound, I mean, the full profile, body profile of this baby. And, and of course, the woman sees this. She sees the humanity of her child. She realizes, oh, my gosh, there's a baby in here. Um, and she chooses life. And, and this is just further proof that Planned Parenthood is all about manipulating and coercing their clients, no matter what, in order to get them to choose abortion so that they can meet and match their abortion quota. And I mean, I can't, I cannot imagine that this is, that this is you know, somehow unusual. I mean, I would think that this is probably happening all over the country. And, and, and one of the problems is that there's not enough oversight by individual states. Look, look I live in Texas. I live in, in one of the most pro-life states in our country, in America. And this is happening in, in Texas. So think about places like Washington, D.C., where there absolutely is no oversight. Places like Oregon, Washington State, New York, um, you know, California. These places where there is so little oversight and maybe none, maybe no oversight. New Hampshire, Vermont, I mean, all, all of these states. And I think how, if this is happening in Texas, what is happening to the women in other parts of the country. And, and how, and this is something that should infuriate anyone, no matter your stance on abortion, because it, sort of the, 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 the platform of ethical medicine is informed consent. And they are not ensuring that these women who are walking through their doors are actually making an informed choice 
to have an abortion sort of takes away the whole idea that they are pro-choice and are indeed pro-abortion. That's exactly what I was thinking. Where, where is the choice in that? And that just, it's one of many examples that proves that pro-choice is a lie, that it's not really about choice. It's not really about, you, you don't have truly uh, pro-choice um, advocates or um, centers, you know, that really want, you know, laws like sonogram laws enacted and enforced so that a woman can see her baby. Why, why would they hate the pregnancy center so much? You know, if, if they were really pro-choice, why would they badmouth? Why would they put on their websites how pregnancy centers just want to lie to women and they just want to manipulate them by showing them a sonogram of what's actually going on inside of their uterus? I mean, that's to me, that sounds more pro-choice than hiding that image from them and hiding the truth of what's going on inside of them. But well, why do they have volunteer escorts, mm-hmm. right? Why do they have people that if they're really about choice and women making the best choice for them, why do they have people? Now, look, I understand if there, if there's crazy, I mean, look, there's crazy anti-abortion people out on the sidewalk. I'm not going to lie about that. We can talk about that in another podcast. They're out there. They're hurling insults at women. They're saying terrible things. They're holding up bloody baby pictures in their face, waving them around. Okay. Sure. You want to have escorts out in front of those clinics? That makes sense to me. But at facilities where, like here in Austin, where we don't have that going on. We have, you know, peaceful, prayerful outreach in front of these abortion facilities in Austin. Yet they still have escorts out out there um, basically acting as a barrier in between the woman and her options. So if they're really for choice, I mean, so what's the big deal? So she, she, you know, decides, Oh, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk to these people on the sidewalk. And they're telling them not to talk to us. They are trained. The escorts are trained to uh, not allow the women to even talk to us, to talk to the peaceful, approachable people that say, Hey, I just have some information before you go inside that you might want to know about. Yeah. So, you know, what's the big deal? So they go and they talk to a sidewalk advocate. They get information and they decide, you know what? Maybe abortions aren't right for me. Or or maybe I don't want to do it today. Maybe I want to go talk to somebody else about this. Maybe I want to get more information. And they leave. So what's the big deal? If you're pro-choice, who cares if they make a different choice other than abortion? That's why they're not pro-choice. And that's why I hate when people say, well, there's no such thing as being pro-abortion. Of course they're pro-abortion. Every single person that believes abortion is is a viable uh, option for a woman who is pregnant. They are pro-abortion, period. Well, I find this whole thing so offensive and insulting as a woman because, you know, groups like Planned Parenthood and NARAL, they claim to hold the monopoly on women's empowerment, but yet... You know, and they have all these slogans like we won't go back. They don't want to we don't want to live like the dark ages. Well, then why? You know, back then they didn't want women to read. Don't want (laughs) us to know what our baby looks like. Don't want us to vote. You don't want us to know science. You don't want us to know, you know, that our, you know, whatever we happen to be pregnant with is in fact a human being. Like, I don't want to be treated like I'm stupid. It's just insulting. Well, it is insulting. And it really shows what they're about because there are brochures that are out there that were pre Roe v. Wade that were put out by Planned Parenthood in the sixties. Planned Parenthood has been around since like 1916. So in the sixties, Planned Parenthood was putting out brochures and in these brochures, they talked about the unborn baby being a human being 
and that abortion was taking the life of that human being. I mean, it was very clear on their brochures. They were clearly not advocating for abortion during that time. It wasn't until Roe v. Wade, it wasn't until really sort of the turn of the decade from 69 to 70, um, where they realized, hey, this is a cash cow. We could really be making a lot of money off of this. So let's stop talking about the unborn baby. Let's not talk, let's, let's not talk about the humanity of the child. Um, let's just say it's no big deal. It's just, and it, it is treating women like they are idiots by not giving them an informed choice. It's, it's absolutely treating us like we don't have the smarts or we don't have the ability to take the information that's given to us, process it with our brains, and then make a decision that we feel is best for us. Well, as some legislatures have come forth and said in Texas, women have a right not to know how telling is yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't need to know these stupid, stupid women. Um, they don't need to know what's going on with their bodies or inside their bodies. So um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, what we do. So most of you are probably listening to this because you saw it on my, my Facebook page. So you know me, you know who I am. Um, you know that I run an organization called And Then There Were None. Megan uh, is works in our development department and also is a client manager um, for And Then There Were None. And uh, we get abortion clinic workers out of the industry and get them into life-affirming work, get them legal help if they need it, um, get them you know emotional help. We provide all-expense-paid healing retreats for people who come out of the industry. Um, and so that's sort of what we do. We really feel like we are providing a comprehensive um, base of assistance for these workers who uh, come to us. And so that's what we do as of today, this podcast date. Uh, we have helped 334 workers leave the industry in the past four years and seven full-time uh, abortion doctors leave their practice as an abortionist and now work in life-affirming work. Uh, you can find out more information about and then there were none at abortionworker.com. We have printable resources for you. If you're out on the sidewalks in front of these clinics, we have digital downloads available. Um, and you can uh, print off, you know, signs like two, two foot by three foot signs uh, that you can you can bring out in front of the, the clinic with you. Um, we have t-shirts, we have merchandise. We want you to be a walking billboard for, and then there were none. Our t-shirts are definitely uh, conversation starters. I get asked about them every time I wear, every time I wear one pretty much. Um, we've got a lot of great printable materials. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you printing out one of our letters, printing out our flyers and sending it into your local abortion facility. Uh, in fact, we want you to do that. Um, we want you to be sort of the grassroots part of, and then there were none, the grassroots movement, and then there were none. Going out and praying outside of, of the abortion clinics is important. And when you encounter uh, a, an abortion worker, letting them know that there is a group that can help them if they want to leave. Um, and, you know, just telling them about the website, giving them the website, abortion, go to abortionworker.com. Uh, about 70% of the workers who have come to us uh, tell us that they heard about us first from someone who was out on the sidewalk. So uh, that's a very important part. We have a prayer team um, that you can also join. We have an app. 
we feel really fancy. We have an app on Google Play and iTunes that you can download. You can type in, and then there were none, and it'll pop up, or you can you can type out in all caps, A-T-T-W-N. Uh, it'll pull up. We've got really great resources of the app. We, we actually just added, uh, you can join our prayer team at the app. You'll get notifications if we have something urgent going on with one of our, our workers, needs immediate prayer, needs immediate assistance. Um, you'll get notifications about that. Um, we also just added something that is particularly, I think, helpful to people who go out on the sidewalks. Um, helpful for me because I, I travel all the time. So I, you know, I may decide while I'm up in New York to go and, you know, sidewalk counsel outside of an abortion facility. And I don't know the resources there, but if you pull up our app, we have two new features on there. One is to find a pregnancy resource center. So if a pregnancy resource center is affiliated with heartbeat or CareNet, it will pull up on this website and it'll tell you where they can go for pregnancy services. We also have uh, a link, uh, find a, a federally qualified health center. So somebody may be coming into Planned Parenthood or this center that you're at and they may say, Oh, I'm just here to get a pap. I'm just here because I need STD testing. That's fine. Um, we get that. We, we want to send you to a place that is not profiting off of abortions. Um, and so, you know, here's a, a list of FQHCs in your area. Here's where they are. Here's how far away they are from you. So that's a new that's a new um, feature to our app. We also added we and then there were none uh, in the Alice Paul group. Second time we've done this, we are hosting uh, the second annual Pro Life Women's Conference. It's in Orlando, Florida. It's June 23rd through the 25th. If you if there's any way possible that you can make it to this conference, you want to be there. Um, it is really such a fruitful conference. So many good speakers that we have so much good information, really a great networking opportunity for women in the pro-life movement to come together and share ideas and just get to know each other and learn from each other. Um, and so we have a pro-life women's conference tab on our app now as well. And you can see the speakers, you can look at their bios, you can look at the hotel information, um, sort of the, the, lineup for the conference, the agenda for the conference can be really great. June 23rd through 25th in Orlando, Florida, Pro-Life Women's Conference. You can get more information about that at prolifewomen.com. And Heather, I want you to talk a little bit about what you do just for a couple minutes, because um, I think that that what we're doing here in the Central Texas area, as far as what's, what the Central Texas Coalition for Life is doing, I think is something that could be modeled across the country. Um, so talk, talk a little bit about that. Sure. So the, uh, Central Texas Coalition for Life was modeled very closely after the original Coalition for Life in Bryan College Station. It was the Brazos Valley Coalition for Life. And that was the organization that actually prayed outside of Abby Johnson's former clinic. And so the Central Texas Coalition for Life, just about two hours away from there, is um, based uh, very much on that same grassroots effort to end abortion peacefully and prayerfully. And we do a number of things. We are most known for our prayer on the sidewalk and our 40 Days for Life campaigns that we have twice a year. So we definitely are one of the hundreds of locations across the world that has a 40 Days for Life campaign. And um, that is simply 40 days straight of prayer and fasting and community outreach and 12 hours a day, seven days a week in our area, we have people praying on the sidewalk, um, try to get at least three or four people per hour. And that includes prayer volunteers. It also includes people who have gone through our sidewalk counselor training. 
um, very, very much like sidewalk advocates for life. We have a sidewalk counselor training and that teaches people how to uh, talk about this issue in a calm fashion, how to uh, discuss it, navigate the conversation with pro-choice people or, or who people who are going into the abortion facilities that are considering abortion and what fetal development is all about, basically talking about the different stages of life in the womb and also talking about the resources in our era. We are actually very blessed in Austin that we have several pregnancy centers alone uh, just in the central Texas area that have free services that are close by the abortion facilities. We also have adoption agencies and maternity homes in the area. So we are very much like a billboard for these resources in our area. And then another thing that we do is we actually, we want to make sure that the places that we're sending women to are legitimate, good places. And so we get to know, we network with these, first and foremost, these pregnancy centers. We know, they know who we are and we know who they are. We know where they're located. We know the directors and the staff there. They're amazing. And one way that we help ensure that they can minister to the abortion-minded, abortion-vulnerable client is that we have trainings for pregnancy centers as well. And this training that we have put together, it's it depend, depending on the center, it's about a three to four hour long training initially. And a lot of centers will take um, you know multiple trainings uh, to, to learn and to get refreshed. And it's a training that um, was put together by a licensed professional counselor in terms of the framework of it. So we have some basic counseling skills that we teach, but it also was uh, a lot of contributors to this training include Abby Johnson, include other former workers, include some experts that have worked with inner city teens, um, include people like myself and other people who have been experienced in the um, pro-life movement uh, long enough to be able to know um, what the abortion industry is about and to teach them um, how the abortion industry markets themselves because the pregnancy centers are competing against the abortion industry. And so we've got this really great training that we have done um, to pretty much all of our centers in central Texas. And we've even had requests um, for multiple other cities across the state and the country for it. And so whenever we can, we give this training because we want accountability between all of us and we want to be able to work better together to have a streamlined message for the clients that we're all trying to work together to help. So those are uh, the highlights, I would say, with the Central Texas Coalition for Life. It's an amazing ministry. Uh, I love serving as the director, and I love the people that we get to work with. So, Yeah, and listen, uh, if you are listening and you're, you're with the PRC, um, you know, training is always a good thing. And, and so, uh, Heather provides an excellent training for pregnancy resource centers. Uh, everybody that walks away from the training says, oh my gosh, so great. Uh, we'd love to have you back, um, to talk more about these issues. So, um, Heather, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, if a PRC wanted to talk to you about bringing you out to train their volunteers, how do they do that? Sure. Visit centraltexascoalition.com. That's central Texas, all spelled out coalition.com. There is a resources tab, and so you'll see where it says for pregnancy centers. So I would check out centraltexascoalition.com, resources for pregnancy centers. Awesome. Okay, so I put on my Facebook page, you know, ask us questions for the podcast. I have so many questions. Uh, there's no way we'll be able to, to get to all these in like five to ten minutes. But uh, we'll just sort of start going down the line, see, see what we've got here, and you guys can uh, help answer these. So, um, Katie Beckman says, what is the best way 
that we can be proactive in the pro-life, pro-woman, pro-child movement? Okay, so, um, you know, that's a great question, one I get asked all the time. So there's sort of, you know, like, uh, I guess three, I guess if you look at the the abortion part of the pro-life, because for me, being pro-life extends far beyond abortion, but um, if you look at the abortion part of the pro-life movement, there's sort of like three prongs there. So there's uh, legislative advocacy, so getting involved at the state level, uh, at the federal level, groups like Susan B. Anthony, Americans United for Life, um, but you know various uh, state rights life groups and, and different legislative groups uh, here in Texas. We have a fantastic one, Texas Alliance for Life, uh, that people can get involved in. So. You know, calling your senators, calling your representative. One thing that we hear all the time from senators and representatives is that when there is some sort of, you know, pro-life or, or pro-abortion bill that's up, the pro-choicers will outnumber us on calls to their senators, to their legislators. I mean, sometimes like 10 to 1. They'll get like 10 pro-abortion calls compared to one pro-life call. And, and I think sometimes we just take it for granted. Like I think here in Texas, especially because we're like, well, we know what's going to pass. Everybody's pro-life here. But our, you know, our legislators still need to hear from us. They still need to hear from their constituency that they are being supported. Um, you know, when they vote pro-life, um, when they vote to, to support life. And so I, that's one part of it. The other, the other part of it is of course, um, activism in front of the clinics. Like Heather was talking about going out in front of the clinics, um, you know, look, we have got to be out there. I mean, you know, I, I've said before, if there was a, a clinic that opened up in your community that said, we're going to euthanize toddlers up to the age of four. I mean, how many, there'd be thousands, probably tens of thousands in that community coming out, protesting, doing everything they could to, to make sure that no woman walked in there with her toddler to euthanize her toddler. Yet, if we're going to be pro-life and we're going to say that the toddler's life is just as valuable as life in the womb, then we should have that same sort of urgency. We should have that same sort of response. Yet I find it to be sort of falling on deaf ears sometimes in the, in the pro-life movement because people are like, well, yeah, it's so uncomfortable. And well, yeah, I mean, yes, it is uncomfortable, but I mean, you got to do it anyway, just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Right. Staring death in the face, of course, is not going to be a comfortable thing. It's definitely not about what's comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But it's not about us. Right. I mean, that, that's really, that's really at the, at the heart of it. It's not about us. Um, it's about doing what we know is right. And it's about doing what's right for these women and these children. So, um, so that's sort of the activism part of it. And then really, I mean, when you're out on the sidewalks, you're really bringing hope to a situation that feels very hopeless for these women. And, and you're really bringing Christ out to, to the sidewalk. So, um, all that's important. The other prong then is, uh, the pregnancy center movement, you know, providing, actually providing the practical care for these women. And so we've got, I mean, over 3000, I think pregnancy centers across the country, um, that are providing services, providing practical care for women who need it, uh, for women who are pregnant. And so that's, Another way to get involved in these pregnancy centers, you know, unlike Planned Parenthood, they're not getting half a billion dollars of our tax money. You know, they're operating on uh, many times limited funds. They're operating with volunteers primarily, um, volunteer staff. And so uh, they need you. They need your time. They need your talents and they need your money. 
to be perfectly honest. Um, and so, you know, maybe you're in a, in a position where you can't, you know, get out of your house and volunteer. That's fine. They'll take your check every month. Um, you know, we need to be funding these centers. We need to be, you know, we need to be, um, really putting money where our mouth is when it comes to the pro-life movement. Um, and so I think that's an important piece as well. And if you're in a position of influence with your local pregnancy center, you know, talk with the board, talk with the director and mention OBRIA and Guiding Star and and look into partnering with organizations that you could um, be covered under their umbrella. Because the more unified we are and the more comprehensive care we provide to women, just it strengthens um the resolve to end abortion and to provide adequate care to women and children. Yeah. And that is important too, because there are several, uh, several groups across the country. I, I personally work with Obrey. I'm, I'm their vice president of national expansion. I work with Obrey. There's many different groups. I'm on the board of guiding star centers. There's groups, a group called Stanton. There, there's different groups across the country that are trying to unify and really have a national model to compete with Planned Parenthood because what's happening right now is, you know, Planned Parenthood's on this big ship and they've got all the lobbyists behind them, all the money, they have all the legislators in their pockets, got all this stuff. And here we are in a bunch of little rowboats, like a little wooden rowboats trying to defeat this big ship. That's not going to happen. That's why national branding is so important. Um, I believe it's so important. Ever since I left Planned Parenthood, I've been saying, where's the national brand? In, in the pro-life movement. We haven't had one. Now we finally do um, under these different groups, Obria and, and Guiding Star and, and these different models across the country. So that is a good point, Megan. You know, people can look into that. Um, national branding is important and it works. We see that national people, somebody said to me one time, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think national branding works. I just looked at them and said, seriously, like McDonald's, Nike, Burger King, I mean, sorry, I'm pregnant. Something about food, but like the, I mean, of course, national branding, that's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. Of course, national branding works. Planned Planned Parenthood. Parenthood. Hello. Yes. National branding works. So, uh, so that may be something that one of your centers is interested in doing. Okay. So Pauline Williams says, what do you say to someone who says to you, Oh, that abortion thing again? When I bring it up. Okay. Now I, my friends just know that I talk about abortion all the time. This is what I do. So I don't really get that a lot. Um, but I do know that people get, get, they sort of get tired of hearing about abortion from their friends, you know, like, Oh, you're always talking about abortion. Oh, you know, like you're a buzzkill. But I mean, what do you say to that? I mean, what I would say is, well, yeah, as long as 3000 kids are dying every day, from an elective abortion procedure, then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep talking about it because for me, there's no, there's nothing more important than protecting human life at its most innocent and vulnerable state. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I I think the context of that depends um, on your answer because at the same time, you don't always, you don't want to make it as if abortion is the only issue and downplay um, and I'll give an example. Anytime a, a national tragedy happens, like like a school shooting or something like that, never should we downplay the tragedy of that. Never should we take away 
from the, um, the, you know, the, the mourning and the pain that the families that are experiencing all of that, that are, that they're going through. So, and I think that sometimes we can get so, um, we can get tunnel vision when it comes to abortion and we can, we can try to take the focus away from that and say, well, you know, but all these children, uh, you know, from abortion, uh, die from abortion every single day. Absolutely. That's true. We're not saying it's not. Um, but I think it, it, that answer will depend on the context of when it's being said. And we do need to be respectful of that and, and recognize and acknowledge that, yes, there is tragedy and pain um, elsewhere in these other um, incidences as well. Yeah. OK, so Medora Decker. I love this question because I just do. OK, so when posting on social media about abortion or Planned Parenthood or pro-life topics in general, and the opposers, who may be your friends or acquaintances, starting with their rehearsed rebuttals. Uh, how much do you continue to post? You know, how much, how, how many times do you respond and and reply? You know, she says, I want to do the topic justice, but as people chime in or get nasty or repetitive, do I just quit the conversation? Do I need to see it through because I brought it up? Okay, let me tell you something, Medora. This is what I do. I do not argue with people on Facebook in general. And it's because they may not, at the, I don't know where their heart is at that moment. They're, if they're on there arguing with me about abortion, which is usually what they're arguing with me about, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to plant a seed. I'm going to give them information. Um, I'm going to tell them, you know, Here's the information. Here's the facts about what I'm telling you. Here's how I know what I'm talking about. I love when people come to my page and go, you clearly don't know anything about Planned Parenthood or the abortions. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I only worked there for eight years. Tell me more. So, you know, so people are going to come. They, they've got, and they are rehearsed most of the time. It's talking points. It's the same thing over and over again. It's very typical. Um, so what I, what I find, what I do is I, I put the information out there, I put the facts out there, I give them the information, I plant the seed, and then I say, have a great night. And I never return to that conversation again. I'm not going to go back and forth with them because what will happen is it will get ugly. It generally will get vulgar on their end. And it's not your responsibility to see to the end of the conversation because there will really be no end for them. They'll just keep on with hurling insults. If there's people, you know, even if these are acquaintances or friends, they will just keep on hurling insults. There will not be a constructive end to the conversation. And for me, I don't need to have the last word. I just need to know that I put the information out there that they can see the truth that's out there and they can do whatever they want to with it, but I'm not going to keep going back. Don't go back. That's the key. Don't go back <laughs> to the conversation and look at what they replied because then you're going to want to be like, well, now I have something else to say. Just drop the bomb and run. Drop the bomb and <laughs> run. Drop it and run. You don't need to continue to argue with your friends. And I, I don't remember which saint said it, but there's this uh, saint that said, win an argument, lose a soul. And so, I'm not interested in being right necessarily. I'm not interested in having the last word. I'm not interested in, in arguing with them for two hours on Facebook. I have better things to do. I just want to plant that seed. I just want to give them that truth bomb 
and walk off and let them deal with it. And they can have the last word. I don't care. That's fine for me. Well, I think it's also important to not just randomly throw out your emotional opinions. Share a fact. Share a link. Share share information from a source that is provable and let it speak for itself. You don't have to spend all your time and energy um, exhausting every argument under the sun. Just put the information out there. And, you know, when I was early on in advocating online, I only ever shared things that I could link to. And I would just come back and say, you know, if you have a problem with this information, go to the source, argue with them. Yeah. And don't link from like life news. <laughs> um, or I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong life news. I'm just saying that they're not going to consider that a valid source or like an unbiased yeah. uh, resource. So that's like if a liberal comes to me and says, well, according to NPR, shut up. Okay. Like give me an un, an unbiased resource for what you're saying. So, um, that's important too. That's a good point. Okay. All right. Last question here from Carolyn Joy, who is a frequenter on my Facebook page. She says, and this is a good way to wrap it up. She says, how do you answer someone who's been to Planned Parenthood and vows they had wonderful care there? Okay. The reason I wanted to answer this is because I would like to believe that there were times during my employment with Planned Parenthood that I actually provided excellent care to women. I believe that that is true. I believe that I did. Um, I believe that there were times where a woman was really unsure about her abortion decision and I actually did present her options, such as adoption. I know, I know that I did that. Um, I remember, you know, I remember one time, uh, at, at Planned Parenthood, we had a, a free pap smear day. We did a hundred pap smears on women that day, all for free. We never did it again. Um, but we did it that one day on my insistence and because I really wanted to help the women in, in, in our community that, that were not going to these federally qualified health centers, didn't feel like they had any other adoption or they were um, undocumented. And so they were nervous about, you know, going in and receiving healthcare. They're going to report me to, you know, okay. Yes. There were times where I really took, uh, I really went the extra mile for our patients and, and I really provided good care. There are good people working inside of Planned Parenthood. There are good people working inside of these clinics. Um, most of these women get involved in, in, in Planned Parenthood because they want to help women because that is their desire. It's misguided. It's misguided compassion. Um, but it's not that they're bad people. I mean, you got to be there a few years before you really become cynical and jaded and, and start coercing women into having abortions generally, which I know I did that too. Okay. But there are good people inside of Planned Parenthood that are really actively trying to help the women that are walking in, in through their doors. The problem is not with the individuals that are working inside of Planned Parenthood. The problem is the corporate culture of Planned Parenthood. Abortion quotas, coercion tactics, manipulation, not giving women informed consent. That is part of the corporate culture at Planned Parenthood, the corporate culture of the abortion industry. So yes, while there are good people 
that work at Planned Parenthood, the overall structure of Planned Parenthood is bad. It's bad. No matter how many people are good that work in these clinics, no matter how many women are there, workers that are there that really care about these women. I think almost everybody that's come through, and then there were none, says, I I really got involved because I, I cared about women. I thought we were there to care about women. And that's the thing. Anytime that there's that there's human tragedy, we're always looking for someone to blame. And so I think for a long time in the pro-life movement, we have blamed the abortion clinic worker because they were the easy scapegoat. What we're trying to do is we're trying to shift that blame away from the individual worker, recognizing that there are very good people that work in the abortion clinics that are very misguided. They're sinners, just like all of us. And they don't they don't see they're blinded. To their sin. We're trying to shift focus away from the human person and give these workers their humanity back because in some ways we've dehumanized them in the pro-life movement and shift the blame to the industry. It is the industry that is manipulative. It is the industry that is coercive. It is the inter- industry that uh, are handing down these mandates of abortion quotas and, and, and all these things. It's not the individuals inside of that industry. Well, I think we also need to touch on the safety standards too, in that regard, because yes, these women may in fact have received the most compassionate and loving and friendly care because I know all of my clients to know them is to love them. They're the greatest people ever. So yeah, they, they are providing um, quality, friendly, compassionate care. Yet how many of them are certified to be performing the care that they're, they're administering to their clients. Um, you know, you do have untrained individuals. You have people who, you know, they may be drawing blood because they took turns sticking each other with needles in the back learning how. So that's how I learned. Even when their care is friendly up front and it may appear very professional, you don't know who's really providing your care. And we do know that Planned Parenthood has has a reputation of in-house training with very minimal standards, Um, you know, but to always follow that up. And, you know, you can't necessarily say what I say because you don't work for the ministry. But I tell people that I work with over 330 women, many who have come out of Planned Parenthood, and I love every single one of them. They're the most compassionate generous, loving, and giving people I've ever met. Um, but you can simply refer to us and say, you know, there's an organization called and then there were none. And it's this ministry made up of hundreds of women who've worked in the abortion industry. And I believe you, they are wonderful people. They really care about women. However, you do want to research a little bit more about what kind of care is being provided because, you know, we also look at women like Tanya Reeves. Planned Parenthood failed her. She did not receive quality care there. And, you know, no matter how many people receive good, friendly care, that does not bring Tanya Reeves back to life. Yeah. And here's the thing. A lot of times these these abortion clinic workers, I mean, yeah, I I don't really want to call them victims because we're not really victims, but we sort of are, I guess, in a way, victims to misinformation that were given by Planned Parenthood when we worked there. I had no idea I shouldn't be doing ultrasounds on women, but I was trained to do it, so I thought it was fine. I don't know. I'm not a nurse. Uh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be dispensing medication, uh, you know, inserting IVs. I don't have any qualifications for it. I didn't know. 
But I trusted that when Planned Parenthood told me, oh, it's fine. We trained you. It's fine. You can do it. I trusted that that was accurate information. I didn't know until I left that a lot of the things I had been participating in were actually illegal. So it was sort of this this ignorance um, that is perpetuated inside of these clinics. And and then what we find with the workers when they leave is they've been doing all this medical work, you know, with a GED or maybe not. And then they think, well, I can go on and do this at other health centers. But other health centers go, uh, and where's your certification to be doing this? Because the care is so uh, horrible uh, inside of these abortion clinics. Right. And I, I, I just like to tell our sidewalk counselors and then just people in general when I'm trying to help about the, you know, apologetics for, for talking about abortion is that I'm, I'm very careful not to make blanket statements so I'm not going to say something like, oh, Planned Parenthood workers don't care about women. Um, you know, that's a, that's a blanket statement. And I, and I know that that's not true because I know there are some that do. I even know uh, I've counseled, you know, some women who did have a, a decent, at least a decent experience with Planned Parenthood. There's certainly way more that um, could say otherwise. But I'm very careful about that. And I think it's always important to go back to the facts. Um, one thing that I, I think I could have mentioned earlier, but also applies here is Something that is very helpful in your toolkit is to have the facts sheet from Susan B. Anthony or from the Susan B. Anthony list. So you can go on to the Susan B. Anthony list website and they have a fact sheet where they pull statistics from Planned Parenthood's own annual report. So when people want to argue and combat what you're saying, you can simply show them that information where it cites Planned Parenthood's own annual report. And then at that point, you just say, if you have an argument with that, then your argument was with Planned Parenthood because here's the facts right there. And that's all you can do at that point. Well, and I think another thing we always need to remember is that we need to conduct ourselves in a truthful manner. Not every woman regrets her abortion. There are women who really, they don't regret it. They don't sob in a corner and cry at night. They, they just moved on with their life. They dealt with it and they moved on. And so to say all women regret their abortions is not true. Um, and the same thing, you know, to say nobody ever has a positive experience in a Planned Parenthood, like Heather said, that's a blanket statement. So, you know, we can't combat the, the lies of the enemy that are taking place in this industry if we're lying. And so affirming people and affirming their uh, experience, it actually kind of sets them back a second. And they're like, well, wait a second, you're not arguing with me. You know, whenever I have a woman say, I had a wonderful experience at a Planned Parenthood, I say, I'm sure you did. I remember going to Planned Parenthood as a teenager and there were many nurses that were very nice and friendly to me. They made me feel safe and comfortable. You're right. I believe you. You probably did have a wonderful experience and I'm glad that you did. And they just don't know what to say, but it gains me their ear. They're much more likely to to listen to me because they know I'm going to present unbiased information because I'm not out to just put a target on them. Awesome. Well, we have so many more questions. We'll have to get to those uh, next week. I just want to thank you for listening, for tuning in to our first podcast of Mistakes Out Loud. I am Abby Johnson. Thank you for joining us. If you need more information about things that we've talked about today, uh, our ministry website is abortionworker.com. My personal website is abbyjohnson.org. You can reach Heather and find out more about what she's doing uh, at centraltexascoalition.com. And uh, I think that we are out. Thank you, everybody. And we hope you have a very blessed day.